Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. For this month's edition of Horror Bites, in which Neil and I each highlight bite-sized indie titles, we have a new crop of horror experiences to chat about that can typically be completed in less than an hour. And while some of these titles we'll be discussing may be free, we believe it's important to support the developer's hard work, so if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages. This month we're only chatting about six bites instead of the usual eight, just because, well, we're busy people, uh, and the month of March is already off to a hot start coverage-wise, but uh, needless to say, I think we found another batch of titles that really feature a nice variety of horror experiences, and, you know, I'll even go so far as to say, you know, there is a caliber of quality here that, not that we don't usually cover these sort of bite-sized slices that really do impress, but, you know, this month especially has a lot more winners than uh, maybe underwhelming experiences, wouldn't you say, Neil? Yeah, you know, I mean, most of it is luck of the draw with these things, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know if it's just us getting a good eye for it, or it's just, it's just luck of the draw, but yeah, it's um, and a good for varied crop, I would say, and it's... um. Once again, showing some nice surprising little twists and turns along the way. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, as usual, I will uh, give you the honor of kicking things off. What would you like to chat about first for the month of March? Let us talk about Alien Survivor by Stefano Cagnani, uh, who I, I've covered in articles before. I think on Dreadix PR, I covered about the Thing games that he'd put out um, a couple of months ago. You know, one based on the original Thing from Another World film, one based on... John Carpenter's version and how you know they're these little slices of those movies made to look like them in some way like I mean with the thing from another world one was great for that because it was black and white had that sort of tinny quality to the sound that made you think back to watching TV back in the day not that old but still um and you know Stefano's got this knack for doing this you know the very famous uh Game little bite-sized versions of Halloween, other thing as we said, um, Terminator, Matrix, John Wick, you know things like that. And you know this is one of the latest ones um, that has come up and is based basically on the finale of Alien, uh, where it's a maze game basically where Ripley is basically having to navigate her way through the corridors of the Nostromo and avoid the alien as it pops up. Um, and that's what it is. You have a flamethrower. It has a certain amount of fuel, and obviously you have to use it in bursts. It's um a strange mix of like you know, it's really well presented, but also very deliberately lo-fi. So it has you know all the VHS style tracking stuff. It has you know almost um what we call up-res PS1 style graphics, if you will, and it all works really well in that regard because um. I think we've talked about this when, you know, puppet combo games and how puppet combo's sort of idea with those is not so much to recreate classic survival horror, but more create an idea of 80s VHS stuff and stuff you might find on the shelves there. And this kind of feels like an extension of that, you know, where you have something that's like, oh, this is the stuff I watched on VHS back in the day, like, and like a vivid memory of it um recreated and that's the way i like to see it best um we were just talking before this how you know there's elements of it that feel a bit off and cheesy as a result you know just like um adding you know stock sounds and stuff in like here like ripley's voice is um interesting to say the least <laughs> but um you know we, i said it to you it's like it's um kind of like the bootlegs for a tiktok generation you know it's like it's an affectionate homage more than it is, you know, a cash-in because you know, it's doing something interesting with it in a very short-form format. So, yeah, I, I like that it's, you know, when we see that generally, you know, when you're sort of, here's this film explained in X amount of seconds or whatever like that, that sort of trends, you can understand it's just content, content, content. Whereas here it's like, it feels like a constant experiment. You know, um, they're using Unreal Engine 5 and sort of going with that and, making little things out of it to sort of try and see how it goes. And the results have been really interesting, I think, so far. So, yeah, I mean, as a game, it's not much. You know, it's very simple, but I think it's part of a bigger process that shows 
this developer has a real understanding of just capturing something about these movies in such small forms that um, many licensed games don't quite capture, including games we talked about not long ago about, including Aliens. So, yeah. So how did you get on with it? Well, I mean, that was my biggest takeaway, right, is that when you compare something like this that, you know, while their catalog is primarily consisting of these homages to these bite-sized slices of these massive horror franchises, and like you said, even stuff like John Wick um, is in their catalog of homages, it's the type of thing where when you look at a developer that does this from like a fan perspective, they're able to nail the look and the feel of these IPs and really tap into what makes them special mm. in a way that eludes some of these bigger projects that are coming from bigger studios. Granted, this is a bite-sized slice, but even on the merits of just that little slice, the fact that for Alien Survivor, it nails the look, it nails the sound, the feel, it nails the intensity of that final yeah. finale of Ridley Scott's you know, seminal film Alien. I mean, that again is more along the lines of what I would want to experience mm. than something that it's like, yeah, you know, there's a xenomorph, but then the rest of the experience doesn't really capture any of the magic of the movies. Um, or, you know, do some, even if it ne doesn't necessarily abide by what the film does, if they take it in some other direction, who's to say that's going to work? And, you know, more often than not, it seems that that doesn't even succeed. So it's great to see somebody come from clearly like a fan background, but is able to have an execution that feels like it probably has a bigger production yeah. than is actually there for this little slice. Um, and yeah, you know, really nailing that urgency of what Ripley was experiencing in that finale right before the Nostromo uh, self-destructs, right? You've got the the warning lights, you've got the AI warning about the imminent self-destruction. And then, of course, you've got the xenomorph that uh, rears its ugly head when she opens those doors, right? Um, so yeah, this was something that, like you said, very fleeting. There's these little moments of like, oh, there's like a little bootleg quality to this where like every time Ripley speaks, it's kind of like, oh, throws you for a loop, but at the same time, it's completely inoffensive to overall capturing the magic of, uh, you know, that finale of Alien. And yeah, man, for something that is one of these little bite-sized experiences that doesn't take a lot of time, um, I would say that Alien Survivor leaves its mark in a memorable way for as, you know, brief as it is. And that's exactly what you want from one of these uh, bite-sized slices, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's, putting it first is by no way me saying it's the weakest of my choices. It's just that it's all very different, interesting choices. And I kind of wanted to lead with that because it's you know, the one with the biggest property attached to it, if you will. It's, um, so it makes it quite stand out in its own way. But um, let's go on to your first pick. Oh, we only have six this month, but you know, we're, they're all good ones. So. Too shy of what we usually do was by no means uh, we couldn't find like quality picks or anything like <laughs> no. that. It's just, you know. It's me, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I, I, I've got too many games to play as it is. <laughs> and even bite sized ones add to the pile. <laughs> I wasn't going to put it all on your shoulders, uh, but, you know, we're both busy guys. So it's the type of thing where hopefully the quality uh, of this month will speak to the, yeah. uh, the lesser quantity of them. But my first pick of the month is going to be Spectral Filter, which was made in two months by developer Austin Schaefer. Um, and has music by Cyrus Bird. And uh, you play as a mysterious technician responsible for picking up where your coworker left off after they failed to process a body within an industrial site. Uh, though you've been told you should be the only person within the site, you're warned to avoid anything that could be in the area. It's very vague and very ominous <laughs> that what that could be in the area is, but uh, it's something that, you know, the player will uncover through their playing of this. So, this is first person. You're exploring this facility. Like I said, it is, I would say, very lo-fi, supernatural, sort of a sci-fi feel to the world building yeah. in that it's very nondescript, you know, your job and the company that's behind it and sort of like the technological state of things. But it's it in that sense, it almost feels a little bit like a Carpenter film because the game is kind of like, here's this world, here's your role. And nobody really questions how things work in this. It's just... You're a guy that has a job, you have to pick up this strange piece of technology and you have to do this very sort of strange process of processing a body. Um, and, you know, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of answers, but through the visual language of this game, I think it does a good job of, you know, filling in the gaps for the player without necessarily having to be told, you know, wholesale how anything really operates in this world. 
Um, it's very much implied, which I think, considering there's not much of a narrative, that's definitely a testament. But as I said, the player needs to investigate the various zones of this sort of site, which I would describe as sort of like a brutalist architecture structure, not unlike City 17 of like Half-Life 2. Mm. Um, it's very sort of just like concrete, very Eastern European-ish. Yes, um, and, you know, you're investigating this building that early on is just this empty building, right? And there's not a lot to it. But the more you explore, you get the sense that something's wrong without having more overt, um, I think, instances that you would assume with like a first-person exploration uh, game of this like that you would find on Itch.io, right? Where you're not being inundated with jump scares, you're not sort of avoiding ghosts and all these things right out the gate. But the more that you explore, I think it's more of an it's more about how oppressive the environment gradually becomes. Yeah. It's more about you know you start to hear whispers or the way in which the lighting starts to be manipulated and whatnot. And the longer that you're investigating this environment the more unsettling it is without having to rely on a lot of those familiar trappings, yeah. like I mentioned, um, that you know we see in a lot of these types of games that we play on uh, Itch.io and whatnot. Um, and you know, I think that's the best compliment that I can give it in that for the 10 to 15 minutes I spent with this, it was very unnerving for a majority of the runtime, despite the fact that I didn't encounter a great deal of the more overt supernatural elements of this game, because early on they tell you, you need to worry about two things. You need to worry about how much noise you're making from running. Yeah. And eventually you find a flashlight and you need to be cautious about how often you use the flashlight. Mm. So with those two things in mind, I did not trigger a lot of the supernatural parts of this game. I did, however, be become very unnerved again with the sound design, which I really can't, undersell you know mm -hmm. the sound design does a great deal of the heavy lifting of creating atmosphere and tension um you know whether or not it's just you simply interacting with something yeah. hearing your footsteps or even just you know the sort of i suppose astral projections is the way that i'll describe them right because mm -hmm. there is this supernatural sort of ghostly void vibe to the entire thing and like you'll see Sometimes you'd turn a corner and you'll see ashes falling where you'd assume there was something. Kind of like in um, the fear games, mm. right? Whenever you'd see those apparitions, you'd see these little trails of ash once the figure disappears. But a lot of the time, because I was playing so carefully, I didn't have the big sort of like traditional payoff of like, oh, there's a ghost or something lunges at the screen or anything like that. But again, like the presentation is so strong that I was still very unnerved and there's also this little element where when you're using the flashlight, periodically you'll have to shake it so that way it will, you know, I guess fully recharge or you'll get an extra bit of juice out of the batteries. Yeah. And in that shaking it, momentarily your vision is obscured because, you know, the flashlight goes down to the ground and then it comes up. And that was never not unnerving the entire mm. time I was playing this. Every single time I assumed it was going to be the thing where it's like, oh, I'm in darkness. I lift the light up and illuminate some kind of terror that jumps in front of me. Um, and that never happened. And I think that that is a testament to just how strong the environment is. And, you know, that atmosphere that you don't have to have that big sort of conventional payoff because then, you know, it'd be easy for a dev to kind of just overly rely on that kind of jump scare. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, there's without getting too much in the weeds, there is a sort of dream sequence that captures the idea of what this sort of processing of a dead body is like. Yeah. Um, and that scene plays out really, really well as a combination of the dreamlike nature of the visuals, a really, again, great sound design and score um, that for me had a good payoff, even if I think people that are looking for a more traditional type of sort of like first person exploration game might not get yeah. or they do not get. Um, I found this to be more rewarding than I was anticipating. Um, so how did Spectral Filter land for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much going to echo much of what you said. So I'll try and take a slightly different tack with this. Um, yeah, you mentioned about the plates itself and how it is very simple, very simplistic, very, but very bleak. And it kind of fills into that very um, gnawing vibe. It, <sighs> You know what it reminds me of slightly? 
is the film Pulse. Yeah. This time I remembered the name. Oh, yeah, yeah. This time I remember the name yeah. of the film when referencing it. Um, <laughs> but yes, you know, it just it has that sort of like something doesn't feel quite right in these very dull, grey, ordinary places, and it, there's a little air of that there, whilst not being quite like that. And I think the restraint shown in what it is doing really does help that as well. And you know, I think that's a lot to admire, whether it was direct or not. That's a really good place to go if you want to tell a ghost story. I think in video game form. Um, you know, the other thing that really struck me just afterwards, just reading like the description on the page was like, saying, you know, oh, we made this in two months. Oh, you know, we're not, we're not going to provide any extra support for this though afterwards because um, we did this in our free time for fun, and I'm working on this other game, Compound Fracture, and I saw that, you know, I click the link oh, okay what's that and then seeing that it was like some retroist sort of first person shooter with dinosaurs and shit and it was like my fucking god like, wow you yeah. <laughs> you've made some nice entry level stuff to get me invested in what you're doing because um yeah there's lots of uh industrial looking areas in that game but god yeah it looks like first person dino crisis meets um mm. In more shootery sort of sense, so that's good. I had to bring that game up when talking about this because, yeah, that that just shows the confidence, you know, to put this out as a fun aside, you know, and it be of such a high quality, yeah. you know, um, whilst working within the realms of very traditional sort of um, setups. Yeah, yeah, makes me look at that game and go, oh, okay, that could be something, you know. That I, that's one I'm keeping my eye on this year, you know, for when that comes out. But, uh, yeah, the flashlight thing was interesting here, as you say, with the, because it's not the first game in the world to do the, oh, you've got to shake to do the flashlight thing, you know, sure. but it's, as you say, the way it manages to handle that is really interesting. And also that it's a really shit flashlight, you know, I mean, like, it, which is very much true to life. The most flashlights of that quality are not great at really illuminating the area. They just provide you with a little bit. And then when you view them in normal light, you know, in so many games, when you're in kind of good light and you turn a flashlight on, you still have a very visible flashlight. Whereas, you know, in real life, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't see that. You know, And it kind of feels more realistic as a flashlight as a result. You know, it's not one of these high-strength, super-duper ones. It is very much like a... Oh, uh, we found this in a cupboard in the back, and it's sort of... You know, which, you know, truthfully, is what you do... Um so yeah, that, the ambiguity of it all, you know, for a lot of the time, really works. And yeah, it just, for a nice little concept and really pushing it as far as it goes, it's impressive. Yeah, I would say it's um, very easy to look at it at first and sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, no, one of these sort of things like that. But, you know, production quality alone is just really impressive. Yeah, it's, um, and, you know, you know why, because it's being made with the idea of make it look as good as it can look, you know, um, by making it very simple in other regards. So, yeah, it's just the right balance, what it is. I was very much into what it does. Yeah, that's... uh, Yeah, a developer, I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing more work of, and uh, especially with Compound Ratchet. Yeah, that was a, a last-minute addition for my picks for this month. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, threw that one uh, in the rotation. As, as was the like previous. Said, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's also something that I'm trying to be more cognizant about and making more time for is like diving a little bit more into not only the back catalogs of some of the devs of, you know, these bite-sized slices that we're playing, but also looking to the future. And I think that this, much like the previous game we chatted about, um, are both great instances of like being more readily aware of, you know, their past projects and trying to see maybe what their skill set is and how that's growing more and more with every release. Yeah. But at, at the same time, you know, looking at the future, because the game that you mentioned, I believe, um, is a um, a collaborative effort. Yeah. It's between this dev and two others, I think. Yes. And so like thinking about the possibilities of what this dev can bring and then working in tandem with other creative devs that have this you know, smaller indie background um, just makes me excited, like you said, for something like Compound Fracture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, Spectral, uh, this one was great. And I was really happy to uh, put this on both our radars. Yeah, but absolutely. what is your second pick of the month? Yes. Um, so yeah, my second pick is, guess what? I've got a text-based adventure for you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> and once again, 
I honestly did just, I looked at the front of it, didn't look any more into it, and I picked it and then found out it was. So it wasn't on purpose, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> a text adventure and underwater horror. I mean, I mean yeah, this is, could like, not be more up your wheelhouse. It, it, this is it. And once again, one of those that really sells it. So it's called In the Deep by Sticks Color. And it's, you know, it, it really does just have that vibe down pat. Um, so. Basically, you are it playing as this guy in the oil industry, um, really hazardous occupation, as they put it, and very dangerous. There's a cleanup you're going on here for an abandoned oil rig, and there's talk of there being something down there that might be quite lucrative. One of your friends is basically saying, you know, someone's offered me a lot of money if we go find this thing while we're down here, like that. And you, know, you get these choices here and there about what to do and yes there's it sort of go, takes part uh, place over a, a number of days and yeah it starts telling more and more interesting aspects of the story as it goes along so yeah as with most of these sort of things you know you have an image or two alongside uh you know in this case it is almost like a book in the way it's presented you have images on the one side you have the screed of text on the other and you know reading through that could get some atmosphere music if you need and little you know click on the options as they come through and yeah it just it's very gets into the sort of business end of things you know and trying to get into the lives of these people and how you know yeah, we could make some money here we could do this there and you know their little personal lives personal problems come into it without it being too heavy on one thing or the other but always with this just slight thing in the back of your head about oh something's not right about this beyond that and you know they're not hiding that they're saying something fucked up is down there like that <laughs> and just, but they're not afraid of it they're like this could make us money and as we all know that's a bad thing to do in any sort of horror case situation <laughs> <laughs> and so proves um but yeah just even without the you know, stuff that comes towards the end of it. There is some really interesting sort of ominous moments in it. Yeah, like uh, being on a dive down there and one of your team wandering off and then just sort of the guy describing how, you know, someone walks off on a dive like that and you lose them, they might as well be dead sort of thing like that. And just the build-up is so well-written and so well-implemented that, yeah, it just... It's a nice mix of story and game you know, in a very simple way, but it works so well for me. I was very impressed with the, the storytelling on display here and the world building they do within it. So yeah, I was um, very impressed by it in the deep. Yeah, this one really, really landed for me um, as well. And, you know, it's keeping your streak alive of having a, a very, for something that we pick a lot of these rent or we pick all of them uh, kind of just like based on the cover image or just the title or whatever, like you're batting almost a thousand for uh, these text-based adventures. And I think that this one is another great example too of avoiding one of my biggest pet peeves with text adventure games of this ilk in that some of them have a tendency to be very heavily emphasizing like player choice, yeah. right? And for me, what I think this does a great job of standing out amongst the rest is that it does a better job of establishing the setting and the characters within it and then having player choice, yeah. right? Player choice is something that is important, obviously, to this, but it doesn't feel like this is just a reactionary text adventure. No. It's more of an emphasis on establishing, like I said, the setting and the characters and then giving you choices that are being influenced by you know, the information that you've been given and crafting an atmosphere, which I think is obviously huge for these types of games, whether or not it has the um, am ambient music attached to it, which, you know, here, of course, does it a ton of favor in terms of helping facilitate that atmosphere and whatnot. But I would say even more so, you know, the writing is really, really well done as well. Not to say that, you know, the previous ones we've played haven't had good writing, but this one just feels like it is actually from someone who is a writer first and foremost, yeah. almost like the little details go so far in establishing the setting. Um, and I think that, you know, there's little bits like 
it, whether it's descriptions of what it's like down below or whether it's just, you know, how divers feel their relationship with the ocean, right? There's one line that says, um, the ocean doesn't want you. And that's when the protagonist is describing what it's like to be underwater yeah. at that depth for that long and talking about this sort of almost toxic relationship that these types of divers form with water, yeah. right? Or the ocean and that it's like, yeah, you're down there and to the degree that you almost don't want to leave. It becomes your second home. Um, I think the protagonist at one point even says, um, you know, he feels badly that he has a family, he has a wife, he has children, and yet sometimes he doesn't want to leave the ocean because he wants to just stay down there because it is like this other world. I think he says, you know, your your heart is big enough to belong to two worlds. Um, and I think that it does a great job of capturing sort of like the psychology of what it's like to be down there yeah. and to have that relationship, which then, you know, it makes you more invested rather than a text adventure that's just like, oh, are you going to go left or right? Because there's a merman coming or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, I think that also, you know, there's a little kind of like world building detail where it talks about marine snow, yeah. which is basically they're so far down that it looks like it's snowing, but it's not snow, obviously. Yeah. It is like dead fish or dead crustaceans yeah. that have been being eaten above by other things. Um, and they describe it as like nothing is ever – nothing ever gets lost. Yeah. Um, and just like little lines of dialogue like that really took me aback because it does so much heavy lifting instead of having this entire text-based adventure just be like, yeah, and then, you know, a giant shark came out and I've got to hide here or there. I have to sacrifice this crew member. And it's not to say that you don't – the player doesn't have these like big decisions that can dictate certain characters' lives – the dev does the legwork or the author does the legwork in making you actually care about those decisions that you're making more so. Um, this actually just made me think of a, uh, a really great graphic novel uh, called The Underwater Welder yeah. by the uh, writer and artist Jeff Lemire that's all about an, an underwater welder. Uh, but it's more of like a Twilight Zone type of aspect to it that's about sort of like how that being down in that sort of like conditions and whatnot can like mess with your psychology and whatnot. And it was, I don't know. I kept thinking about that. And now I actually have a copy of that on order from Amazon to reread, but yeah. yeah, this was definitely a, a huge standout this month. And I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you, you mentioned it reminded me of that. It reminds me of the novel of the Meg rather than the, the film, you know, in terms of how descriptive and it gets about, being underwater in the situations like that but also it really does bring up that sort of correlation you have between space and the ocean and how alien they are to humanity even when we have all the equipment to go there that something so vast and frightening that isn't just helplessness in terms of movement or whatever it's just the fact that you, there is so much you cannot see and do not know about these places and in itself you can feel and see the comfort in that in being somewhere that is just so far away from everything and yet you know, still connected somehow and uh, yeah it, it's very rare that you get something that gets that i think and th that really does just capture that nicely yeah and also it's worth mentioning that there's multiple endings mm. that are obviously determined upon the decisions that the player makes and whatnot and yeah Definitely uh, one of the strongest, if not the strongest, I think, uh, of the text-based adventures you brought to the table. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I think subject matter helps, but it is. Um, yeah, <laughs> like you say, when they're well written in their own ways, it does just really send them to another place. I think a good example of that last year was the, the river, uh, river runs through us. Yes. Part one, which you know, very different writing style, but still very strong and effective, and using the right tools to tell the story. And yeah, this once again is that it's fantastic in that regard. Um, so yeah, I suppose we're halfway through now, so we're gonna take a break, aren't we? Yeah, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get to the uh, back half of our horror bite selections for the month of March. And we're back from our break, and I want to dive right into Nightmare Zapping from developer okay. Maldo19, who happens to be the developer behind the horror of Salazar House, ah. which was a uh, Torture Star produced game, I believe. Um, but Nightmare Zapping, 
this framework is that of you're flipping through channels on a boob tube TV, for those who remember what that is other than Neil and I, and every few channels has different horrors befalling the different residents of the town of Canela. So basically, it's a series of little vignettes per every few channels that are broken up by like static, but every channel plays out with a character having an encounter with some type of supernatural event that quite often ends in their demise. So it could be someone coming home from work and encountering a supernatural dog, a fisherman who reels in more than he bargained for, or perhaps an adolescent prank gone too far. Um, and the thing that links all these channels together are a series of clues that will help uncover, you know, the source of the misfortune of the residents yeah. and what is behind their untimely demises. Um, some of these channels or vignettes, if you will, um, have varying degrees of interactivity, right? So some of them just play out and you're kind of just reading the text. And then some of them have a little more interactivity. It's one of them, you can interact with various things in a house after somebody's woken up, like have to do a little mundane task of like making breakfast for them. But then that in and of itself, as mundane as it seems, ties into them, you know, unlocking a clue which then can help you uncover the larger mystery that's linking, again, all of these vignettes together. Um, and there, for an experience that's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, there's a good amount of secrets to be uncovered throughout them. And I think that, you know, it makes for an experience that is brief, but it feels like you've told the entirety of a story that at the moment, you know, moment to moment through the channels, you're kind of like, what, how do you, how do all these connect? What is really going on? But by the end of it, you know, through those different types of experiences um, and the different types of, you know, scares that are linked to each of them, it does feel like this little linked microcosm of storytelling that uh, becomes clearer and clearer the more investigating and experimenting that the player does. Um, a very simplistic look to it, but I think that between the subject matter and the writing and the choice visuals that it has, it does a really great job of, you know, telling a story that is actually unnerving despite the visuals that are attached to it. And, you know, again, this is not like a new phenomenon in this space, right? I think that that is quite often um, a testament to devs that really understand what makes horror work, right? Despite the fact of how something may look, it's more about the execution and the sort of tapping into the unique visual style um, that can really capitalize on even the most sort of MS paint looking <laughs> of experiences. Um, and that's not mentioned like commenting on this specific visual style, but just in general, yes. um, I think that what horror bites has proven is that you don't need to have something that's in Unreal five or something that even has like a super refined or pristine graphical style to uh, be affecting and whatnot. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't have a great deal more to dive into with this just because, you know, I think that, each channel has enough surprises that uh, they're better left unsaid. But uh, I'm curious for you, how did this work? Did this end up feeling like each channel connected in a way that worked? Did you find that the little vignettes uh, beat to beat were affecting? Yeah, well, I mean, it should be no surprise that this is my favorite of the three of your picks, um, given how much I'd gone about channel surfing in the early hours of the morning. Um <laughs> And this being basically that game in a lot of ways, you know, not exactly, but it, it has a lot of that to it. And yeah, there's that sort of surreal side to it that does seem a bit disjointed when you're going through the first time. But as you go through, different bits sort of click together and you realize, oh, okay, so that's that from that story. This is that from that story. It's basically an anthology. It's the way to see it, but told through TV channels. And I thought, as a concept, that's fucking genius. So, so that is that's really well done. I love that as an idea. And it's really well executed for the most part, I think. You know, there's some stuff that feels a bit flat, you know, in terms of how it ends on certain little story beats. But I just think, yeah, a small, small change in terms of uh, what I could criticize the game for. Um, but yeah, just it really just tapped into that idea of just channel surfing and just coming across some sort of weird image and then flicking back to look at it and they go, oh, what was that? Like sort of thing, you know, sometimes. And even with this sort of very simplistic art style, some of the stuff, when they really let you know, animate a couple of them, 
you know, the eyeball close-ups and stuff like that. It's just, they look genuinely freaky because you're so used to these very static sort of setups. And then you get, the, I mean, there's some of it just goes places that are a bit odd and you change genre now and again. And I like the constant surprises it throws up. I mean, the dog thing you talked about, um, you know, it offers you a choice of like, do this or do that. And if you do one, you basically just laments that you picked that one and says you should have picked the other one. But when you go around the next time and you pick that option, a third option comes up. And like, so, you, but you think, well, they said I should have done this one last time to so do that one. And of course, you know, it's not. And, you know, I love little touches like that, just sort of subverting. Oh, I've learned a lesson from this, so now I should know what to do for the next time. And then to say, no, no, we're going to fuck you. It's not the first game, actually, this month that does this, but it's just one of those, it's really cool to see these little subversions of the the, uh, sort of text adventure ideas going on in this. So the fact that it's, you know, got a bit of point and click stuff, got a bit of text adventure, you know, and some other genre stuff in there, and just having that general. T, you know, t- TV at 2am idea to it, which means I'm going to be writing about this at some point because you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's just so much about it I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it was a real winner for me. You know, I, I can look past some of its shortcomings to really just dig into the concept of it. You know, I, I really, really did enjoy everything about it. And this made me want to dive right into uh, the House of Salazar at some point because mm. um, yeah, I mean, this game does a great job, like you said, of kind of playing around with that anthology style um, while at the same time just delivering this bevy of experiences that all feel like they are actually, you know, interconnected in a way that becomes more and more apparent and seeing how, you know, the further the player explores each of these channels and the secrets within and it just becomes stronger and stronger, narratively speaking, um, is something that on paper, you know, you've probably heard of other games trying to do something similar, but here it really, really comes together in a way that's satisfying. Um, and yeah, highly, highly recommend people check this one out. Um, and yeah, I'm glad it uh, clicked for you as much as it did for me. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a fine pick indeed. But we're going to move on to your final pick of the month. Yeah, gosh, final pick. So this is Be Honest by Ezra Stanton. And this is basically a quiz game. You are answering a personality quiz, and it's here, so you know it's not just any old personality quiz. So, um, so yeah, just ask you a bunch of questions about your life, blah, 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 simple as that, and then naturally just starts to go wrong. Now, the ways in which it goes wrong, we don't really want to get too deep into because I think you have to really try it, um, and it deserves being, you know, it deserves your time. So it's probably about 10 minutes for the whole thing um so yeah again not one of those made in a two month timeline sort of games um it's you know, very much encouraged to be played by streamers and stuff which i can see why but yeah you, you were always expecting going into this that you know oh okay so it's gonna go a bit creepy whatever like it's and yes it does but you know all good horror knows how to manipulate that and say well yes of course you came into the horror thing expecting horror that why wouldn't you like that but (laughs) it's then how you take that on you know you don't have to go out there to sell it you know you can work within the confines of what you're doing and really sell something strong and i think this really does that in that it goes to sinister places and absurd places and does a few of the usual sort of tricks in between. And does some really disturbing audio work in between as well that just sort of plays havoc, you know? You know like, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mention when we were talking about In the Deep, but, you know, that had some very distinct audio moments. You were like, what the fuck? You know, like that. It's just like, what is that noise? Uh, and it's, most of the time it was because you hadn't sort of caught up reading what the noise is associated with. But it's still, here, it's like, it's so unrelated and at first that you're like, okay, what's this about like that? And then slowly you get through the quiz and certain questions are asked, you know, okay, like that. And, you know, again, you can work through this in different ways and with different answers. And yeah, it's my favorite trick that this plays is the, 
getting through these sort of um seed questions you know where it's like here's a word what do you associate with that word like that you know that, you know and you've got to be quick you get a small countdown timer and like that that's really cool but also when questions are presented to you and you're looking at it, and you know how you do quizzes sometimes you have it so you keep half an eye on what you're doing but click the thing you're not really paying attention because you're not that invested you know you're just like oh just blah 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 and then just as you're doing that the question will change like that like that yeah. and <laughs> and that's really smart and just the fact that you have to do a bit of personal stuff in there actual personal stuff kind of adds to it as you go in and I was waiting for something really like deeply you know shocking like something some big ah, at the moment like but again really just works on the edges of that and makes something something unpleasant but something that stokes your curiosity you know in a way that you're like okay well what's going on I really kind of want to keep going and you kind of get it's weird you get invested in doing the quiz in some ways but not in others and who's kind of distracted about what could happen and like you kind of feel free from like if you were normally answering an online quiz yeah, where normally you're like well no i've got to do this i don't want to do this properly because what it might say about me is fear and here it's like it kind of frees you from that because you're that's like, just a game like that and like that but it kind of makes you ask some interesting questions about yourself which is surprising yeah and I, I like that about it so it's it really gets to the subject matter itself in a really interesting way whilst subverting it you know i found it a really good mix so yeah i was really really into this one i, I one of those where you don't know how it could turn out you know when say oh okay horror quiz I can, I've seen how things like that can turn out and it could just be an eye rolling sort of thing. But no, this is a lovely, lovely surprise in that regard. Well, I would say also, you know, the greatest strength of this is that, you know, it lulls you into a false sense of security, but at the same time, it subverts, you know, the big payoff, which is, you know, a subtle, gradual scare Rather than having something again, you know, it's what I always come back to with these types of things where it's like that sense of security doesn't set you up for like, oh, something screams that like appears on the screen screaming or whatever, you know, to get a jump scare, right? It's more about, you know, just creating this sense of, oh, well, you know, I'm just answering these very innocuous questions and whatnot, you know, like what color are your eyes or what do you think is your best feature or things like yeah. that. But then, you know, the ways in which it distorts your perception of, you know, like you said, the questions, but also, you know, there are these advertisements that look like they're 40s or 50s yeah. era that are on the side. And peer, and the longer you're doing this, you know, slowly but surely they become to be slowly distorted yeah. and more terrifying um, or maybe not even terrifying is the right word, but just like strange or odd. And it's gradual, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, that one sign that said something now says something else. Or all of a sudden one of these caricatures doesn't have eyes, mm. but it's not to the degree that it's like, overtly gory or gruesome it's just very strange and unsettling yeah. um and i think that also you know if uh you were like me and played this at midnight while high as fuck um <laughs> it scares the shit out of you when you start to have <laughs> you know the the questions mention your name or the fact that you start to get paranoid about like thinking oh wait so i'm answering all these questions about my personality honestly but who is on the other end of this questionnaire like those little things and then that plays into sort of the meta nature of it where it's like, oh, you start to realize who is actually designing these questions and influencing yeah. these questions. Um, and I really did like the little moments where it's like, oh, something pops up on the screen that is is unmissable and it's clearly like demonic at a certain point. But it's not something that, again, like goes from zero to 100 in any regard. No. It kind of is just like this gradually building thing that doesn't necessarily have this big in your face payoff but at the same time it's very unnerving and especially like when you get that summary at the very end of it you know when you start to think about everything that you answered yeah did i answer this honestly it discusses like your fate to a certain degree um and you know as you mentioned with uh in the deep there's this sort of asmr quality to the whisperings or to the noises that are ever gradual in the background and whatnot 
to the degree that, you know, you're playing it late at night and you're like looking over your shoulder for part of it <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and that's something that I think, like you said, it kind of builds upon this era of being inundated with like BuzzFeed type questionnaires and whatnot. And it's a simple premise, but it's executed on in a way that I think makes it, I don't know, it capitalizes on that simple premise in the best way possible because it's something you could go back and do again and not feel like, well, is there really anything more to this if I was to do it a second time and answer differently? And with something like Be Honest, I would say yes, because it's not reliant on one singular payoff experience of a massive jump scare or something like that to like scare the shit out of streamers or whatever that would be playing something like this. Um, I think that the text is interesting enough, the ways in which the quiz itself and the perception of it is distorted is interesting enough and unsettling. Um, and I want to see what other types of, you know, fucked up endings you can get in terms of like <laughs> your fate. Um, I mean, do, do you, want, do you remember the one that you got? Do we want to share those or do we want to just leave uh, those for uh, get too much, people to discover on their own? I, I did all right. I'll say that much. Yeah. I, I did all right, right the first time around. So I was kind of disappointed, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mine told me I have 48 years and I'll leave it at yeah, that. So same. I'll try to make the best of those 48. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think the last time we had a game like this was way back with uh, Feedvid, which um, did the sort of YouTube sort of BuzzFeed style stuff really well in a different way. But I, I feel this is probably a stronger representation of what it's doing. Oh, for it's sure. more focused on one thing. And I think the quality of it as well as something as a game is that anyone can play it. Anyone could do this yeah. and get something out of it. I really like that. You know, it is by taking something that anyone and everyone could do and making it into a horror experience, it's a really smart thing to do. You know, I think the developer has done a couple of things like this already. So this is not the only one. So, yeah, that's a, a cool way to approach it. You know, I'm very impressed with the idea of having a readily accessible small horror experience like this that isn't you know the usual avenues i suppose uh for that out there so yeah grand stuff all around but uh that, that brings us to the final game of the night so doesn't it which is your final pick yeah so my final pick is phobophobia i can't tell you how many times i had to practice <laughs> that to not fuck it up phobophobia case file zero the orphanage is developed by surgery head and it is a point-and-click horror adventure that has the player in the shoes of a detective searching for evidence to convict a deranged killer. But upon investigating the deranged orphanage the killer grew up in, the real horrors are just beginning. So simply put, I think that this is probably one of the most unique horror bites I've played in a while. And I would describe this game as being a cross between the House of Salazar um, or the horror of Salazar House, excuse me, I think I've now mispronounced that game twice, uh, my mistake, but it is crossed with something like Mother 3 in that it features RPG mechanics and a very strange sort of approach to combat, which I think I will uh, hopefully illustrate for the player, the listeners very soon. So you begin this game by spending points on stats in a very traditional you know, RPG sense, you have three major stats, which are attack, body, and investigation. Then you go into perks, which allows the player to pick one special ability. And then there's three levels of difficulty. Um, I played on the easiest difficulty, which gives you more skill points, but a worse final score. Um, and it overall makes you know the experience simpler. And I think, <laughs> as I will shortly illustrate, uh, you definitely want to play this probably for the first time on the easiest difficulty. So... This game's setup is very traditional to a point and click in that you're going to be, you know, limited to one section of this orphanage at a time. And through clicking through the environments, you're going to be uncovering items, puzzles, enemies, and the like. And it has a very interesting art style that I would describe as being very, like, rough in terms of, like, MS Paint-esque. Yes. But... At the same time, the environments are detailed to the degree that that actually ends up being a strength of the visual language of this game. 
Um, also, the fact that you know you're exploring an orphanage that had all these atrocities, it kind of gels with the theme of it in that this looks like the world that's been created by children, right? Yeah. In terms of that very rough art style, um, which, if anything, you know, the more about the horrors you uncover of the orphanage, it makes the visual language more disturbing. I think you're not necessarily going to be seeing things here that you haven't seen in other types of horror experiences, but it's more about the presentation yeah. that I think makes it darker than what the actual subject matter is. Um, and like I said, you're going to be going into these various rooms. You could have this ability called investigate, which will drum up, you know, hidden resources, which could be like bullets, charms, or knives. At the same time, rooms are going to have puzzles in them or little clues about the orphanage's backstory and whatnot. Um, you, of course, with it being survival horror, there's going to be a piano puzzle because how could there not be? Um, the puzzles themselves, I think, are fine. They're they're fine enough, right? Um, I think that a majority of them just consist of getting keys so you can unlock doors that mm. allow you to venture further into the orphanage, which is fair enough. Um, I think that where it gets really interesting is how combat comes into play, right? Because as I said, the story is all about how you've captured this serial killer and they are in jail, but the killings have continued. Mm. So you're going to encounter various beings, and I'll leave it at that, in the orphanage that trigger combat sections. That is where, you know, my mother three sort of comparison comes into play. Yeah. Um, you have these enemies basically on a combat screen that strafe from left to right, but they're getting closer and closer to the player. So early on, you have a firearm that's fully loaded. Bullets are very scarce. And if they get close enough to you, then you can use either a punch or a knife attack if they get close enough. Um, and I think that that adds a certain level of hesitancy to combat that really does make this very intense in a way that kind of harkens back to traditional RPG combat, mm -hmm. I think. Every bullet, every hit matters. And, you know, of course, that's part of like survival horror, right? But I think that the difficulty is so incredibly hardcore, even on the easiest difficulty, that it becomes the type of experience that feels like a throwback to very traditional, no hand-holding RPGs, um, which I'm mixed about, but I will get into that uh, in a moment. Yeah. But, you know, the encounters with enemies also, it's this type of thing where they are randomized because I interacted with different parts of the environment based on various replays of sections and that encounters popped up where they didn't the previous time. So there is this kind of like randomized nature to things, which makes, you know, exploring any environment just as sort of nerve wracking as it was the first time. And at the same time, you will encounter different types of enemies that have different abilities and different resistances and different strengths and whatnot. Um, now this is very much, a me problem with this in that the game is so difficult and so hardcore that it is incredibly easy to die. Um, and you will go through probably two or three lives before you get a good grasp on like the flow of combat and whatnot. And may, whether this was intentional on the devs development or whether this is a limitation of just the general game design of this, when you die, you die for good and you have to restart from the very beginning. You have the chance to reroll your character or just continue from the very beginning of the experience, which for me was incredibly frustrating, but I kept coming back to it because I was so enamored with the combination of the world exploration and the combat, as difficult as it was. Yeah. And I wanted to learn more about the story, right? I was taken with this world. I thought the presentation was very interesting. So I kept coming back I will admit I did not finish this because it was so difficult. I got to the point where I'd spent 45 minutes on it and I still, and I, I thought I was getting to the end and then I died again. And I was like, I think that's going to be a wrap for me because <laughs> I don't want to overly sour my criticism of this because it is fucking hard as shit. And there are going to be people that are going to stick with it that will approach this with the same uh, rigor that they would with, you know, a full fledged horror experience. But for the sake of horror bites and I had other stuff to play, I moved on after 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, for you, you know, you said that um, the previous title that I brought to the table was your favorite of the month. So I'm curious, you know, there are 
some similarities in terms of mm. these two games. I mean, how did this one land for you? Well, you know, I think one of the wonderful things when you, you talk about a game before I do is that you start loading me up with ideas and thoughts and <laughs> things, additional things. I'm like, oh shit, now I've got to remember this, 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 and this, and this. So hopefully I'm going to get through the list of things that just suddenly popped into my head in addition to what I was going to say anyway. Um, so first, I think one of the most interesting things about this, if you think about it, is that it kind of takes survival horror back to its origins, you know, as being you know, alone in the dark sort of stuff, point and click style. And then that works. That's kind of cool. Um, perhaps my biggest problem with the game is that there is a very significant game that's done similar things in recent times and is hard and requires such challenge and patience, but has more of a loop to it. And that is World of Horror, which is, you know, the assy style, you know, one bit, two bit style game uh, with very much the same thing with a sort of Junji Ito sort of art style. Now, in that game, of course, you, you have many of the same problems and issues and challenges that come up. But um, that basically when you do fail and that that is considered like that's the end of that story. That's it. That's how that story ends. And it, that's where it kind of connects with the Ito stuff where it's like that's and then you can retell it and it randomizes different elements and you go here, do this, blah, blah, blah. And so this feels very much like a lower five version of that. Now, when you were saying about the visual style and almost having a childlike quality that makes it interesting, I think that is quite important because when I think of childlike sort of um, you know, horror gaming, that, that it's such a big part of the market now it, when you think of it in terms of like stuff that is presented as being, oh, here's the thing that from childhood that's going to fuck you up like that. Like that. Whereas this, there's something a bit more disturbing about something that is very upfront of being very adult in its nature and its challenge, having something that feels so infant, you know, and, and um, that's unsettling in its own way. It's not, it's not out there and as deliberate as those other sort of games that really tap into sort of his Sesame Street, his you know, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, like that. It is just no, no. The art style kind of has a describe what you were thinking in your head from memory oh i'm not a very good drawer sort of thing it's it, it, it's good enough and distinctive enough in terms of its visual quality that it works but it's just that sort of something slightly off about it that really taps into what it's doing and makes it interesting so yeah that side of it's good as you say very hard and i think not having a greater structure to make that tick might prove to be a problem for for many people. I think with the existence of a game like World of Horror out there doing similar things and having that loop, it kind of shows it up, you know, in that regard. That it, but then the other part of it is you could say, well, it's doing its own thing. It's wanting to be hardcore and unapologetic about what it's doing. And it works in that regard, you could say fine you know it is very much putting the emphasis on survival and that is it and so for that you know i, I can't help but sort of give it its flowers if you will you know and uh say yeah okay you, you've done a fine job of being the game you want to be so i have a great respect for it in that regard i didn't much like it you know otherwise in terms of like it had these great elements and it really does just do what it wants to do. But yeah, I, I didn't have a great time with it just because it was tough. And uh, I was having a week of playing games that were really fucking tough. And it's just, I just want something <laughs> easy. Not exactly the remedy you were probably looking for. No, no. Yeah. When, when in the last week or so you've been doing Resident Evil Village and a whole new perspective and playing other games that are surprisingly tough. And then you come to this and think these short games tend to be quite nice and, straightforward and simple and so you know I, yeah so which is not to lay blame at the game i, I think you know it, it's what it's going for it's its distinct style and you know it kind of doesn't help these games when we have this oh well we can do this in x amount of time and it's okay I, we had this last month when you went on where i said about those you know 
we had that one game that had that fucking juggling mini game at the beginning for no reason yeah. <laughs> and it just like it just derailed everything I was like I'd fucking give up you know and you know all, all credit to Ian you know he went on and persevered through it but you know I was almost adamant that there was no game and it was a trick you know at that point but you know this isn't that this is just it knows what it's being it knows that it's meant to be hard and I think it has some really interesting ideas uh, yeah it's just not going to be for everyone, I think it's worth but I think it will find its fans. I think it's definitely going to gain an audience within that realm, no doubt. Yeah, you know, also I'm hopeful that the fact that it's case zero, it would perhaps have additional chapters coming or something like that. Granted, there are no plans for that, right? That's me speculating. But the idea that you could continue with this format of a homage to classical hardcore survival horror RPGs. Um, I think that the visual style is so strong and the structural style is so strong. Uh, Perhaps maybe we could get a save uh, system in there at some point because I'm fine with, you know, with something being incredibly difficult. It's just that I need a place that I can fall back to that is not going to be square, you know, quite literally zero. Um, That's the type of thing that for me, I tend to bounce off of experiences like that. But again, Who's to say whether that's a limitation of the tech or if it's the clear development uh, decision here. But yeah, you know, I thought that this one was unique enough that uh, it really was a standout in that regard. And, you know, even if it you can't stick with it like I didn't because of how difficult it was, I find that visually and I think gameplay mechanically, it is unique enough to it's yeah. worth mentioning and uh, hopefully something that gets built upon because yes but at the same time you know thinking about this month as a whole right i think that um like i said we've not really had any that kind of like fell to the wayside no. or was something that we would stop thinking about after we played it because you know almost everything this month was just stellar almost well, yeah I, you know i think the, the the key word that goes through all of these six entries is confidence yeah, every single one of them has a confidence in what they are doing. And whether that you know, vibes with you or not is obviously going to be a matter of debate. But you know, this game, more than any, I think, out of the six, says that. You know, it's like there you can criticize it for what it does or doesn't do, but that is very much down to personal taste, I think, more than a failing of the game. I think it is just a case of everything about it to me says this is what we meant to do. This is the kind of game we wanted to make. And we wanted to do it. I wanted to make this game as it is this way. And th- that's admirable because even at this sort of micro level of development, you, you know, you get people sort of going, I want to make a game that's kind of like this game, like that game, and but I want people to like it. So you might make a compromise here and there, which is no bad thing. But to find something that is just so very much just feels like a vision someone's had and said, I want this. I want to make this for me first is great. And I love that. And you have to have such respect for that. And so, yeah, as a result, it is probably the most confident of a very confident bunch. I think that's perfectly stated, but yeah, you know, that's another uh, memorable month of horror bites that we've got under our belts and, you know, looking ahead to the rest of the month of March, Next week, we're going to be chatting about Bioshock Infinite, which is going to be celebrating its 10th anniversary, which no one on the entirety of the internet has been talking about in any sort of frequency recently. Uh, (laughs) There's a game that there will be no debate about. Everyone will be very happy about it and just go, yes, that was a game that we all enjoyed back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the following week after Bioshock Infinite, we'll also be chatting about The Last of Us, the series in its entirety with our... uh, with our, at this point, The Last of Us correspondent who will be returning, who will uh, reveal at a later date. And then we'll be rounding out the month with uh, The Inventory, our monthly review show, which no surprise what the big showstopper is going to be there. Yes. Resident Evil 4 remake, um, amongst other, another title that might not be on the same level in terms of scale, but at the same time, a um, seeing a horror title that's being ported from... Uh, few maybe last console generation but anyways in addition we'll be chatting about uh some other indie horror stuff that's in the pipeline as well yeah yeah we, there's a few i think um 
the latest Fatal Frame slash Project Zero will be in there as well. Uh, there's no doubt that. That was the title. That, oh, it was uh, the one you were to. <laughs> <laughs> I was dancing around that one. And I think I can say it now. Dredge will be among the uh, games that we're reviewing as well. So, so, so nice. that. And yeah, I, I can't say the others yet because I haven't got confirmation. But yeah, the, the, it will be a packed month. Let's put it that way. So, two hours last time. God knows what it'll be this time. <laughs> oh man, might have to put a cap. But I think that that's the type of thing where it's like it's better to have too much to talk about than not enough to talk yeah, about, right? That's it. That's it. But yeah, I look forward to chatting about those titles and more with you. And uh, yeah, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Indeed. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. Feel free to drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.